Now today I want to talk about the heart of a servant. So hopefully you got your service, uh, your message notes out from your service maps. The heart of a servant, all things new. Now when you are born again, when Christ is the center of your life, one of the things that changes is your attitude and your posture as a person. And so today I thought it would be appropriate for us to talk about the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant. We're going to dive into John chapter 13. And uh, John chapter 13, this is a part of the scripture that most of us are familiar with. It's during the Last Supper. So this would be the final moments that Jesus has with his disciples. How many know when it's the final moment, that's an important moment in that person's life, what they're going to say and what they're going to do. And in this part, Jesus does something that is very interesting. Now, most of us know about the Last Supper, and we're very well versed in that. But some of you may not know that in this moment, Jesus actually takes time to wash his disciples' feet. So looking at that and reading that, you think, well, that's no big deal. You know, it's, I mean, we read, we know that he does that. But back then, that would have been a big deal. And some of you are like, no, Pastor, that's a bit. How many of you have ever been a part of a foot washing service? So it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But how many know you? Some of you like, I ain't touching that toe jam. <laughs> I don't know where their feet have been. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> no feet. <laughs> that like, like, you're like, I'm not going to get in. But back then, it was very common for people to go and wash feet. And it wasn't just people. It was servants and slaves. Because though someone would have a bath and be clean in their body, they would walk from house to house. And the, 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 the ground was sandy and dusty. And there would be excrement from animals. And it was pretty nasty for your feet. And so it was very common when you would walk into a house that they would have a, slur, a servant or a slave that would then wash the person's feet. They're clean on top, now they're clean on their feet. The whole person is clean. It's very customary. But what's not customary is a rabbi or a priest doing the work of a slave. The disciples here, they're freaking out. They're like, what in the world? In fact, in this, which I'll read a little bit later apart, Peter, he goes on, he says, listen, don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And the reason Peter says that in this verse is because he's saying, listen, you're way better than washing the, my feet. That's the job of a servant. That's the job of someone who is a slave. And, and, and Jesus said, listen, if you don't let me serve you, you'll have no part in me. And so we know the verse, it's Peter says, hey, don't wash my feet alone. Wash my head and my whole body. And that's because he wants to be a part of what Jesus is doing. So he's setting forth a principle here that we're going to dive into, that if you want to lead others, you've got to serve others. If you want to lead people, the, the job of a leader is not entitlement. The job of a leader is to serve. And so let's look at the heart of this. John 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So he shows and demonstrates his love. And then passing on, Following through the verse, it says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, this is after Jesus has washed their feet. He says, I've washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. So he's saying, listen, I've done it. You know, Peter has already said, no, it's not going to happen. And he, he lets him do it anyway. So he's washed his feet. Now Jesus said, look, just what I have done, I want you to go and do. He says, I have set an example that you should do what I have done for you. So here's the question. Does Jesus want us now to go wash everybody's feet? Well, 
it's a good moment. I've been a part of foot washing ceremonies, and when it's the right moment in God's way, it's great. But what's the principle that he's trying to teach us here? It's this, that we as believers should live our lives as servants, that we should serve one another. And look at what he says. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So isn't that amazing? Listen, living as a servant, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be fulfilled. He is trying to let us know what so many of those and you guys who serve on the dream team already know. And it's this, you've never really lived your life until you made the difference in the life of someone else. You've never really lived your life until you've served someone else, till you've impacted somebody else's life. It's not about what can people do to me. It's not about how can I get from others. It's about God. How do I give? How do I posture my life in such a way that I'm a servant? Now, the amazing thing about being a servant and serving others is that God, in his sovereignty, in his greatness, is that as we give, how many know God gives back to us? That as we give to others, have you ever heard the expression, it's more blessed to give than to receive? That, that, that's in the scripture, and we'll, we'll go through that a little bit later in the service, but the point of that is this. There is a great, amazing benefit to receiving, but there's a greater benefit when we give. There's something that happens on the inside of us that we get to experience and that God puts forth as a reward for doing what he wants us to do, which is take on his nature, his, his divine nature as a servant. And here's the tragedy. I, I would say this is the tragedy uh, for, for, for a lot of people and even in churches. The tragedy is this. Many people never experience the divine joy, the divine fulfillment of, of what they experience when they serve others. Why? Because serving is not natural. Serving is not something that just arbitrarily happens. You have to choose to serve other people. You have to choose to posture your heart in such a way that I'm going to give to others. Now, let me ask you a question. How many rolled out of bed today and said, hey, I'm going to go serve somebody else today? Uh, you, you got out of bed and you just said, oh, man, woo, I'm going to go do something nice and kind and serving. And, no, 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 no. Most of us, we didn't, we didn't have that feeling this morning. Why is that? Because we're human. We're natural. We're normal. And that's okay. But what we have to understand is if that feeling doesn't just happen, I, I've met people like this. Hey, when are you going to help people? When are you going to serve? When I feel like it. Well, can I tell you, you're probably never going to. <laughs> I mean, is it just me? Like, I never just feel like putting other people first. I never just feel like, like what we have to understand is that I got to choose to do it. And, and that's okay because it's human nature. I, how many got kids? Anybody got kids? I got four. How many got a lot of kids? You just put both hands up. <laughs> like a pastor. I got a trap. <laughs> That's right, look, he's like, praise God. So, so anybody got kids? Now, kids are wonderful, but how many know serving with kids is not natural? You have to train them. You have to raise them up. You have to teach them. You have to raise. I, I was on vacation this last week, and I'm so thankful for the church that allowed us to go on vacation. And the first part was just me and Phyllis, and, you know, we're serving one another, loving one another, and it's amazing, rekindling the fire, there may be a fifth cow somewhere coming. I don't know. I'm just saying. So, we, you know, we're serving one another. And all the men said, amen, pastor. <laughs> 
So, and, and then we, we do the last part of our vacation and we take our kids. Now, I, I don't know what it is with kids, and, and my brother still has smaller kids, so I don't know if he gets it yet, but, you know, I, for me, I would have never thought that there would be a World War II war or a Royal Rumble or some crazy fight over pushing the button in an elevator. Good Lord! Like, for real? Like, how many got kids? Like, we, my kids, Addie is like body slamming. Boom! I'm touching the button. They're climbing on top of each other, pushing. It's, it's like that slow. It was like World War III. I'm like all over a button. Oh, and you think the button's a big deal? They pull out that magic card. Oh, the hotel key. Oh, like, like it's like going to get them into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory or something. <laughs> like they're fighting and wrestling and then they take off and one of them trips the other one and they're falling and grabbing the keys and It was so crazy. Phyllis and I literally spent 10 minutes creating a family schedule of who can push the button. Like, okay, Carson, you can push this one. They were trying to go in different elevators to push the buttons. <laughs> Why? Because at the nature of a child is selfishness. At the nature of people, we want it to be about us, that let it be about me, it's all about me, and, and that's normal. It's the nature that we were born with, that sinful nature on the inside of us. And the problem is this, just because we come to church doesn't mean it changes. Just because we're sitting in these rows doesn't mean automatically like, I've arrived, I wake up wanting to serve people, I wake up wanting to, no, 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 no. No, no, I don't know that you ever wake up doing that. I think you wake up saying that I love people, and because I love people, I'm going to serve people. I love God, and because I love God, I'm going to serve God. And we live in a society and a culture that reinforces the selfishness inside of us, and really we understand it as consumer mentality. Like it's, hey, we want to sell stuff to you. We want you to consume it. So we understand that you buy products that make you feel good. We understand and, and marketers understand that you will buy products that is all about you. And so if we're not careful, we'll bring a consumer mentality with us into church when the gospel was never about consumers. It's all about contributors. Oh, hmm. It is. I know somebody said, Pastor, that's good, but I'm going to amen it. <laughs> like, like, there's a point where this consumer mentality, think about this. We are brainwashed from the time we are young. It's this. Tell me if you know this slogan, have it your way. Tell me what that is. Burger King. Somebody said McDonald's. No, 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 no. That's Burger King. Unless you're Bon Cui Cui, you can have it your way. Don't go crazy. Don't go crazy. I know I messed that all up. Don't go crazy. No, no, here's the next one. I'm loving it. What's this? Anybody know the slogan? McDonald's. You're like, I got kids. That's the golden arches. <laughs> yeah. Here's another one. And, and ladies, because you're worth it. Or yeah. Yeah. Come on. Oh, I, I, in the first service, I had a man say it real loud. I'm like, she has got you trained very well, baby. She's like, honey, I am worth it. I'm giving me some L'Oreal. So, so here's one. If you travel everywhere you want to be, that's what? Visa, come on, that's right. Visa is everywhere you want to be. Now, here, here you go, men. You, you ought to know this one. It's the best a man can get. 
Gillette. That's exactly right. But look at all these slogans, and these are marketing geniuses. What's it all about? The best you can get. I'm, lo- it's, it's all, I'm loving it. It's all about me. And so what happens if we're not careful is we let the old nature take over the new nature. You're not the same old person. When you came to Christ, when you had a born-again experience, though we were brainwashed with a consumer mentality, you've got a new nature on the inside of us. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, everybody say, in Christ... That's you if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, you are in Christ. It says, the new creation has come. That you're a new creation. The old nature is gone, and therefore you're a new person. In Christ Jesus, you're new. And so that mentality of consumerism can continue to try to infiltrate the church. And I'll be honest, I believe churches many times are not effective because we become consumers and not contributors. We're building something based when it's all about me. Can I tell you the gospel is not all about you? Yes, I know you're a piece of it. But did you know that God created us for his purpose, for his will, that we would worship him, that we would serve him, that we would love him. And so we are his created masterpiece for him. And what we understand is that God in his sovereignty created a rescue plan to come and rescue dying humanity. But if we're not careful, we will allow the consumer mentality to say, yeah, it's all about you. It's all about him coming just for you. Yes, that's a piece. Yes, there's a point it's about you. Yes, there's a point it's about me. But ultimately, if we're not careful, we'll make everything about us. And the truth is, it's all about him. We are saved for his purpose, saved for his will, and ultimately, it's all about Jesus. Now, Phyllis and I, I remember when we started the church, it was about four years ago, we started with nine people in my living room and officially launched about three and a half years ago. It was March of 2013, and I just remember in the whole experience of her getting ready to launch this church, and I'll never forget, we were driving down the road, and Before we even knew we were going to launch a church, about three months earlier, we were just talking and playing. I don't know if we were driving or on the phone. I can't remember which one it was, but I told her, I said, hey, babe, if we ever launched a church, you know what? Why don't we just call it the church? I said, it's timeless, (laughs) Like like it'll never fade, just the church. And then she bantered back and forth and said, you know, it ought to be the church. What if we were just the church and being the church? And we just kind of laughed it off and didn't think anything of it and Lo and behold, a couple of months later, our pastor sent us out to start launching this church. And I just remember at the very beginning, us making a commitment that this church would never be about us. That it wouldn't be about my likes and dislikes. And, you know, from the very beginning, our mentality has been this. God, whatever you want to do in a church, just do it in this church. God, whatever you want to do in people, would you just do it inside of me? God, whatever you want. Now, now I know that we fight the tendency to make it about us, but that's my job to say, it's not about us, it's all about him. God, we're going to make you the center. And and it really has to be a mentality because it's so easy to say, well, you have to conform to me. And the truth is, no, we don't. Someone say, look at my skinny jeans. Like, I know you're looking at them. You're like, oh, pasta. Well, look at skinny jeans. And I had a compliment on my shoes last week, and it's awesome. But uh, I was telling them, these shoes hurt my feet, and these jeans are too skinny. <laughs> Can I tell you I don't like skinny jeans? I said, well, why would you wear them? Because I want to be relevant. 
You know, I, and, and it kind of is funny. And, and, you know, let me, let, let's just talk about this. You know, you know what I would rather wear? It's what I wore when I first launched the church and all my young people said, oh, pastor, you're getting old. Like, I, I'd wear those big, frumpy, baggy pants that are comfortable, that let my legs breathe. You know what I mean? Not constricting, like they're not black and blue because it's so tight. And, and, and so, you know, I, I'd wear a big, baggy shirt. I just, I want to be comfortable. And this is what I realized. Listen, appearances matter to the world. We ought to be healthy. We ought to look decent. We ought to, and someone said, yeah, but aren't you changing? Well, I guess you could call that. I like to call it fishing. Like I'm fishing for a generation that is dying and going to hell. And I want to make sure that all the bait that we use attracts them to the greatest discovery we've ever had, which is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. You know, and at some point, it, it really does. It becomes about, if we're going to reach a generation, listen, we can't be out of step of that generation. I don't like all the songs we sing. Someone says, me either, Pastor. I'd say, you're getting old, just like me. Yeah, I remember the songs where it was just simple, like two or three words you repeat over and over again, and you're like, I got it. I can close my eyes and sing it. Now they sing paragraphs. Like someone wrote a book and put a melody to it and called it worship. And maybe it's because my brain is getting a little older and it's a little harder to remember all the words. But at the end of the day, this is what I know. Do we want to reach a generation that's coming up where this is where they're at and forego some of our tastes? Something like the music's too loud. Well, it's, it, it's a little loud at times. Some of that is to hide my bad singing. <laughs> and some of you are like, praise God, it hides mine as well. <laughs> Yeah, at the end of the day, we have to say, listen, what's more important, reaching people or getting our preference, making it all about us. And I'll do anything short of a sin to reach people with the power of Jesus Christ. And at some point, it's that saying, God, I'm not going to be a consumer. I am going to be a contributor. Now, I want you to know your feelings are valid. My feelings are valid. I don't want to create a place that I don't like. I want to create this place, but, but do you know what I value over my personal preference or taste? I value a place where people feel loved. Is that happening here? Then we're doing our job. I value a place where black, white, Indian, Hispanic, Korean, Asian, young, old can come and worship God in a place where they feel valued and cherished and loved. Is that happening Awesome, we're winning. So to us, we focus on the main things, and then some of our personal preferences, we just got to say, am I a consumer or a contributor? And sometimes, this is what I like to say too, if there's something that bothers you, you might be the answer to our prayer. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, it might bother us as well, and we've been praying for someone else for that to bother them enough that they would get involved and make a difference and be a part of the solution and not the problem. Because I've learned this in my life. When something bothers me, when something aggravates me, usually it's God pinpointing that in my life because I'm the solution to go in and fix it. So you have a choice. Will I wait till they get it perfect and be a consumer? Or will I go in there and be a contributor, try to help and fix it so that we can reach more people together? And that's the choice that we have. And I've realized this. I'm less likely to criticize when I'm a contributor. When I contribute, I'm not as, you know, I get a little protective. Why? Because I'm out there working and serving and giving like everybody else. And, and we have to understand the very nature of God is serving. The very nature of God is to give. The very nature of God is to lay his life down. And, and that's the message of the gospel. 
We can't preach a consumer gospel that it's all about me, it's about my happiness and my, it's my, what, what I can get. No, there are benefits that happen when we become a Christian and praise God, he wants us blessed. But the truth is I was a sinner that God saved me when I was headed straight to hell. And the gospel is that salvation of God in my life, saving me and changing my destination of eternity. And along the way, see, sometimes we get it mixed up like I'm supposed to feel all that here. I'm supposed to get all that here. The reality is this. We're supposed to be living for eternity. Heaven is the perfect place where we experience everything here. It's just gravy. It's like, awesome, God. But whether my life is good now or bad, I'm going to serve you. Whether I'm ha feeling happy or sad, I'm going to serve you. Whether I'm feeling loved or not, I'm going to serve you. Right now, I'm going to have the heart that you want me to have, which is to serve and to give. You know, it's a radical mentality that Jesus throws out there for us to receive through the gospel. It's a radical approach. Mark chapter 9, 35. See, up until this time when you had status and you had a, a, a title, people were to serve you. People were to make your life comfortable, make it easy for you. But Jesus charges his disciples with a concept that is really radical. We see it in Mark 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12, and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. Was well, that what society says? No. I mean, if I want to be first, I'm going to be first. I go up to the front of the line. I get in front of everybody else. I get ahead of everybody else. That's not what the kingdom of God says. You want to be first? Be last. You want to be the greatest? Be servant of all. Be servant of all. That you're going to go in and say, God, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. In fact, that word servant right there actually refers to the word in Greek. It's bond servant. There's actually seven translations of servant into Greek. Now, they clump them all into the word servant for the English language, but in the Greek, there are actually seven different translations. This one right here actually means bondservant. Now, bondservant is very interesting. If you know anything about uh, Christianity and, and even just our history, bondservants were people that had become slaves, whether they owed someone some money, something happened. They were God's people that had become a slave. Now, God had a rule that you could only have a slave or a person be a slave for seven years. Every seven years, they would be released. So if I sold myself into slavery or I was sold into slavery, I, I would be released in seven years. Now, the term bondservant is very interesting when he's talking here because a bondservant has been freed. You no longer owe anybody anything. Your debt has been paid or it's been canceled. But a bondservant would say this, I love my master so much. You have been so good to me. You have blessed me so much more than I could ever imagine. Why in the world would I ever go anywhere else? In fact, I willingly submit my life to you and become a lifelong slave. I become a lifelong servant. Then they would put a ring in their ear and they would be marked. Why? Because they were set free but now chosen to live as a life of a servant. Isn't that the picture of Christianity? That he came in, he saved us, he rescued us from the very thing that we deserve, which was death and hell. And Jesus Christ, all God, all man, gave his life willingly, died a cruel death on the cross, was resurrected, and now that resurrection power is on the inside of us. He frees us. So the bondservant here is, listen, you're free. You'll make it to heaven. 
I mean, it's awesome. Like, we're going to spend eternity there. Now, the question is how we live on this earth. Has, has God touched you and it impacted you so much that you say, God, now I'm going to live as a bondservant. I willingly give you everything in my life. I willingly lay it down. You have been so good to me. You have blessed me. You have loved me when no one else did. And so now the only response that I can give to you is a lifetime of service. That's what he's talking about here. Doesn't that change our perspective? Doesn't it shape us in a different way? And so someone says, well, that's great. What does it mean to be a servant? I, there's four things I want to talk about. First one is this. A servant puts giving over taking. Giving over taking. And I, I like to think this way. There's really two types of people in the world. How many know there's givers and there's takers? How many know a giver? Anybody know someone that is just generous? Someone that gives? I, probably one of the greatest givers that I know is my brother, Steve, uh, Steve, wave your hand. So he, uh, I mean, appreciate Pastor Steve. <clears throat> he's my uh, twin brother. So someone says, he sure looks a lot like Pastor. Yes, my twin brother. Uh, we're four minutes apart. But, uh, I mean, just as long as I've known Steve, we'll go out to eat, and uh, we'll get ready to pay for the check. He's like, oh, brother, I got it. I got it. I mean, then, then what's the response? Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, you're sure? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, no, 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 I got it. I'm like, all right, man, thanks, bro. I appreciate it. I love you, man. I wasn't expecting anything. And then we'll go to the movies, and I'm putting in my credit card. He pulls my credit card out or my debit card, and he puts his in. He's like, I got it. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and he pays for it. I'm like, bro, come on, man. And then we, so finally, he is so generous to me all the time. I finally told him the other day, I'm like, bro, if you keep paying for stuff, I'm not going out with you. Like at some point, you're robbing my blessing, but he has the mentality of a giver and giver's lift. It's like, oh man, it is refreshing to be around someone that is generous. Can I get an amen? How many know takers? You're like, I'm sitting by no. <laughs> don't, don't point anybody out. Don't. So, so takers is a different experience. Not lifting, it's kind of pulling down. It's like, they're the ones bumming money. Hey, can I borrow some money? How much you need? How much you got? <laughs> 24, oh yeah, 68. Hey, can I stay on your couch for how long? How long will you let me? Hey, can you give me a ride? Can you give me a ride? Can you pick me up? Can, you know, it's this constant what you're, and, and at the end of the day, you finally call him a what? A mooch. You're like, man, just a, you're like this leech. You just go with someone else. Like, get out of my life. Why? Because you're a taker. What we have to understand is those two natures come from two different origins. God is a giver. The devil is a taker. And so here we have the new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says we have been made the righteousness. It's not in your notes, but it says we have been made the righteousness of God. Made the righteousness. So when salvation takes place, the old nature is gone. We've been, boom, made this righteous nature with God. His DNA, his, his heart, everything is on the inside of us. So what we have to do is constantly choose, everybody say choose, to operate in our new nature. Look at what it talks about, John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. He steals, he kills, he destroys. He's taking things from people. That's his nature. He is a taker. And then look at what it says with Jesus. It says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is a giver, and that is his nature. We have the nature of God on the inside of us, and so we have to choose to operate in that nature. 
We see this characteristic of Jesus and God throughout the whole Bible and the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 10, 45. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he came to to serve others, to give. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. He understood this, that true joy comes in giving. It's not receiving. Things can never give you joy. Things can only give you temporary pleasure. They can give you happiness. See, joy is an attitude of the heart. Happiness is an emotion that's experienced temporarily. So you can get all these things, and let me tell you, some of you are living that life. It's like you're not experiencing the joy of giving, so what you've done is you've begun a life of hyper-consuming. So you got to get the newest gadget, the newest car, the newest house, the newest thing. And though it brings some pleasure, I'm not saying it doesn't bring pleasure. And thank God for the blessings of God. Listen, I love the blessings of God. I have a nice house. We have nice cars. We have nice things. Like, I'm not saying anything about that. The key is, do you have the stuff or does the stuff have you? Right? right? I mean, if, 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 if you looked at your life, is it you trying to get the happiness that comes because we're not living the way Christ called us to live? How did he ask us to live? He said, listen, when you give, you're going to be blessed. When you go out and you serve, that's how you live the fulfilled life. Why? Because you're investing in what's important to me, so I'm going to invest in you. Second thing is the servant puts serving over status. Serving over status. If you want to be the greatest, you've got to become the servant of all. Now, I don't know about you, but we, we all like status. How many like status? I mean, I, <laughs> somebody like, Pastor, I ain't raising my hand, but I like it. How, how many maybe like, you know, do you travel? Anybody travels? Like, like I travel, and you know airlines give you status? Uh, we, we like to travel and have status. I don't have status now. I used to have status. What does that mean? That means I've spent money with the airline. I've booked flights. I've invested in them. I'm a loyal customer. And because I'm a loyal customer, they give me great benefits. You might know what I'm talking about? Like the benefits. That's why I go back to the different airlines because I like how they, they, they make me feel. I like how they give me this sense of the warm fuzzies. And you say, well, do they give you that? Yeah, when you're sitting in first class and everybody's walking to the back, I mean, that's a warm fuzzy. <laughs> You're like, I've never experienced it. Me neither. <laughs> so so here's, here's the thing. You, you travel with them. You invest your money with them. You go with them. So they give you these great benefits. And then you begin to have this sense of entitlement. They, they, they owe me. You know, I, I get preference in, in where I sit. I get, you know, I, I flew the other day. And there is an airline that actually has red carpet. Did you guys know that? Like they have red carpet. Like, to me, they, they rolled out this red carpet, and they had two carpets. I'd, I'd never flown with this company, and so I'm a little bitter, so hold on. So let me get to the story. So they got two different rows. One has red carpet. One has black carpet. And hey, if, you are, uh, if, you, you, if you're gold, platinum, super platinum, you go ahead and make your way. You can simply walk down this nice red carpet. And so you saw all these people. How many have ever seen it? They're like walking down. And so they walk down the red carpet. And, you know, here I am. I'm thinking, that's awesome, man. I'm going to get to walk down this red carpet. I didn't know what the black carpet was for. I'm thinking, man, they must really love customers because all the customers get to walk down this red carpet. So they go to the next one. It's another kind of rewards program. And they're walking down. And then the, 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 he's laughing. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. So then they did an interesting thing. And I don't think they've thought about how it makes you feel. They actually closed off the red carpet. 
and said, for everyone else, you can join us down the black carpet. How many know I had a fleshly moment? I'm not going to tell you what I wanted to do, but it would have been something like this. I'm walking down this red carpet because I am a customer or I'm going to Southwest. I mean, at the end of the day, why, why do they get to do it? They've got status. We're rewarded for our time in. We're rewarded because of the loyalty. And so there's a mentality of entitlement and that we deserve it and that we earn it. And the reality is in the kingdom of God, status makes us servants. Like the status we get from God is that we become greater servants. The longer I'm here, the more of a servant I ought to be. What, what should happen in my life is that at the end of my life, they would say, man, he is a greater servant at the end of his life than he is today. Every day, it ought to be more about how can I serve people? How can I love people? Why? Because it's about serving and not status. And if we're not careful, the mentality of the world will come into the church. And it's this, I've been here since we were in the movie theater. That's my seat. You're like, well, I got a lot of kids. That's my row. <laughs> and, and then you begin to have this entitlement, like these benefits, because you've been and we've been. And, and, and so the, the things that we like and get. And, and what I know is this, is it that we're entitled to status or did God call us to be servants? Like, like God, you've called me to be a servant. And a servant prefers others before themselves. And Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or vain conceit. So it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about all making me feel better in the status. Though those things are great in the natural, don't let them permeate your heart. It says, rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. There ought to be something on the inside of us. You have a new nature, a new character in the heart of a servant. And so it may not feel natural at first. If you've never preferred other people, it'll feel, it'll feel terrible. You say, really? Yeah, because they're eating before me. <laughs> they're getting things before me. We, we have a saying in the, in the fellowship and uh, that's a 12, uh, nine-month mentorship program that I do with 12 young adults, 18 to 25. We've got a couple of spots. If you're interested, you need to fill out an application uh, before the next couple of weeks roll around. And in that program, one of the things that we do and I say is this, leaders eat last. And I try to raise them up and teach them why, because the heart of a servant is, I'm going to prefer other people for me. Now, I can tell you, as the person that went before me is eating that chocolate cake that is melting in their mouth, and they not only got one portion, but two portions, and I come up to the back of the line, and there's no chocolate cake. (laughs) How many know that don't feel so? I'm like, what? This servant thing ain't that great. (laughs) Can I just be real? Like we have this like movie quality, like like a rainbow from heaven and this light and these. No, no. Serving is not fun. It's when, when you put people first, it means you may not get something. It means that you're going to have to work and, and, and you're not going to get everything you want. But at the end of the day, the reward comes from God. And we're building and cultivating this heart saying, God, I'm going to put other people first. Why? That's what servants do. Third thing is this. We put character. Servants put character over comfort. God's more interested in our character than he is our comfort. I've heard people, some people say, I think it's to justify when they're doing something wrong and they know they shouldn't be. But I've heard people say this. Have you ever heard this? Maybe you've said this. I don't know. God wants me happy. (laughs) 
Have you ever heard that? I mean, you know, I've, I've tried to say some things and people say, no, 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 God wants me. No, no, God don't want you happy. God wants you holy. <laughs> I'm telling you, God, he don't care about your happiness. He wants you holy. God wants us to be people that reflect him on this earth, that when they see us, you know what they say, man, that must be what Jesus looks like. It's not about your happiness. Lots of time in Christianity ain't about me being happy. It's about me having the joy of the Lord as I'm serving through some stuff. And that joy then produces the happiness that I'm searching for and what I'm craving for. God wants to mold our character. And I just tell you this. So sometimes in our life, the thing that keeps us from promotion is the fact that God is still working on our character. You know, I, I've learned this in my life. Listen, if you've ever, ever heard anything, it's this. People cannot push you down. People cannot hold you back. The only person that can hold you back is yourself. I know a God that promotes people even if people don't like you. I've been promoted in my life. Well, Jim, I don't even like you. I don't know why I'm promoted. I know why you're promoting me. You're promoting me because my daddy said so. And my daddy's bigger than you. And he'll beat you up. And that's why you're promoting me. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know that's a little strong. But at the end of the day, what we understand is that promotion in Psalm 75, 5 and 6 says this. It doesn't come from the south, the east, the west, the north. It comes from God alone. And so if I'm not being promoted in my life, if I'm not doing what I feel like God's called me to do, maybe he wants to cultivate the heart of a servant. That as we serve people, God says, I'm going to elevate you. Why? Because now you have the character inside of you to keep you where I'm going to elevate you. Some of you, listen, you think it's some person holding you. No, no, no. Babe. Listen, get the heart of a servant, serve people, love people, and then see what God will do in your life. I mean, God really cares about our character. I, imagine if my kid was to ask me, you know, if I were to ask my kids and say, hey, Caden, tell me this, baby, what do you want? Oh, Dad, I'm glad you asked. Today I'd like to skip school and sleep in late. That'll make me happy. How many parents say, okay, well, sleep in. Don't go to school. No, you're going to kick his butt out of bed and you say, son, get to school. Why? Because I want you to learn. I want you to be educated. Why? Because I want you to have a future and to make an impact. I care about you. So that means you're not going to be happy when you get up early for school. Well, isn't God like that? Like, 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 it's not about our happiness. It's about him moving us forward with his purpose in our life. Being a servant is not always comfortable. And yet God demands that of us. Finally is this. A servant puts we over me. You know, really, that's what we see in the life of a servant. It's, it's really about us as a team. Isn't it interesting that it's the body of Christ? With the body of Christ, you have different positions. and You have hands and arms and ears and eyes and legs and toes. When, when you think of a body, you just think of all these different parts that all have different functions and all do different things that are great. And so what we understand is in the kingdom of God, as we're serving, what he's called us to do is to be a part of a we and not a me. And you guys can come in. Well, what does that mean? That means teams win championships. The body of Christ wins when we're together. Did you know that God never called us to be an island to ourselves? See, people say, oh, but you know, I can watch the podcast and praise God for those of you that are watching and on the live stream. But if all we were to ever do was to look through a screen and hear the message and never build community, we lose. 
Why? Because God built this whole system around people. And yes, can you get more of God's word? Yes. Can you get more of God and praise God alone? Yes. But didn't you remember the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. There's something about coming together that we get to serve one another. It works things out of us. God's working that selfishness out. He's working this self-centeredness out. And when we're around people, it gets messy. God knew that. That's why he gave us grace. Right? I mean, that's, that's why he gave us this, this ability to overlook people's flaws and to say, God, as long as I'm focused on you, I can overlook this. Where, where we get into the problem is that our focus stops being on God. It starts to be on the people. We win together. That's what I love about the dream team. Listen, there is no way this church could happen if there weren't hundreds of people on the dream team. Hundreds. In fact, today, I don't know if you know, we had 26 people join us in 401, our next step, which is the engagement part of serving. So today, 26 of you, come on, are joining the team to engage, to serve, to make a difference. And that's what I love about it. There's places for everybody to do what God has placed on the inside of that, that together, think about this, we couldn't do this by ourselves. Every person is doing something. The impact is exponential. The, 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 the reach goes way further than we could ever do by ourselves. It, it's like this flood relief. How many of you went down into North Rosenberg and made a difference and, and physically helped with the flood relief? You know, many of you, you don't have to raise your hands. Many of you went to do it. But can I tell you, all of you were a part of it. You say, well, well, pastor, I didn't go down there and I didn't spray all that chemicals and I don't know, I didn't deliver any mop buckets and I didn't go down there and pray over people. Yeah, but you give at the church financially because you give, we were able to sow thousands of dollars to the flood relief. You say, yeah, but I wasn't there physically. Yes, you were. Why? Because you're a part of a team. And if it wasn't for your giving, if you're giving here at the church, we couldn't send Pastor Brian and Zelda down there to do what they did because we're part of the team. How many went to India this month and helped plant churches in India? Everybody who gives, you were in India this month. Why? Because we give thousands of dollars to missionary pastors that are in India right now planting house churches, making a difference. Why? Because you're a part of a team. We get this mentality sometimes, well, I didn't do it. No, no, you're part of a team. We all win. When, when the body of Christ wins, we all win. We're all a part of what God is doing here. And it's amazing. It's always we over me. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 is the last verse. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I love that word together. They were together. They weren't isolated. They weren't by themselves. They weren't doing their own thing. You know what they did? They came across and grabbed a hold of one vision, one purpose. We say this and have said it often when we launch a church. One people, one language, one purpose, nothing's impossible. It's the principle of the Tower of Babel. I mean, here you have God of the universe. If you've ever heard the story, you've got these people, and they're building this tower to heaven, which you think is impossible. But here you have the God of the universe, and then you have mankind, and they've come together, and they said, listen, we're going to exalt ourselves. We're going to build this tower, and the tower is going to be so great, it's going to go into heaven. And what did we see happen there? Basically, it's the principle. One people with one language, one purpose, 
Nothing is impossible. So what does God do? He separates into people groups, instantly changes their language. And in an interesting thing happened, they stopped building the tower to heaven. Why? Because they weren't all going in the same direction. They didn't understand each other. They didn't have the same vision. And, and, and the devil understands the power of disunity. That if he can bring disunity in this place, if he can bring division in this place, we will never live together. And if we don't live together, we can never make the impact. And so that's what we fight for is the unity, the vision. You, you open up your worship guides, it tells you exactly what our focus is. We are laser focused on four things that we believe God has called us to do. We're one people saying the same thing, moving in the same direction. And I believe this, nothing is impossible. It says all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to everyone who had a need. I love that. Servants generous and selfless and giving. You're the heart of a servant is that we're going to be givers and not takers. Now I know there's give and take, but we're going to have a pattern in our life. Givers, givers, generous. I believe that's one of the things that's marked our church. Extravagant generosity. This up to right now, I don't have the exact numbers because I wasn't ready to share it, but we have given just under $100,000 outside these four walls in the last five months. You have been a part of that. You have been a part of that. Why? It's because we cultivate an atmosphere. Well, I thought you were in a building program. Yeah, we're in a building program, but that building... It's never going to cause us to not be generous. I, yeah, well, I thought you were doing flood relief. Yeah, we're doing flood relief, but that's not going to be the soul. We're going to constantly be givers no matter what we're walking through. We're going to go and bless and give. Why? Because we want to cultivate the art of a servant. Servants serve over having status. God wants to develop our comfort, our character more than our comfort. And it's always we over me. Bow your head and close your eyes. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you for just building a church, God, where you would help us walk in your divine nature. And Lord, I, I ask you to change us when we're selfish, change us when we're focused on ourselves. And God, change me. Don't let me be selfish. I know it's so easy to feel entitled or like I've earned it or deserved it, like a rewards program. Your kingdom is not a, like a rewards program, like I've earned it, deserved it. God, it's because we love you. And there are great benefits to that, but God, it's not for the benefits. It's for you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that you're the focus of our lives, God, that you cultivate inside of us humility and generosity. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.